I, I think that the, the idea of our existence being a Hevel-like existence, we are just here today, gone tomorrow. Um, the, the genius of Ecclesiastes is that that is not a crushing negative message. If you see yourself like that, as we are, and you see yourself like that before the end comes, before it's too late, knowing who you really are can be incredibly liberating. The longer you live, you you realize, you realize we've been doing what Ecclesiastes was written to try and counter. Ecclesiastes is a hammer to smash the Tower of Babel impulses there in all our hearts, I think. Hmm. And people find that liberating. I find it liberating. Welcome to The Afterword, a conversation on books, reading in the church, a podcast from Westminster Bookstore, and I'm your host, Johnny Gibson. And uh, today joining me on the show is uh, David Gibson, minister of Trinity Church, Aberdeen. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Living Life Backward, How Ecclesiastes Teaches Us to Live in the Light of the End. He's married to Angela, they have four children, and also a dog called Nala. And uh, as you'll see from the name, uh, he has the same surname as myself, and that is because we are indeed uh, brothers. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you'll see that the beauty genes from our parents were not evenly distributed, uh, but I'll let you decide uh, which side those fell on. It's uh, fairly clear from where I'm sitting where they fell, but uh, perhaps others will have a different opinion on that. So, David, good to have you on the show today. Thank you, Johnny. It's nice to be here. Uh, it's a chance nice to see you're still wearing you're, you're still wearing the same clothes you've been wearing since you were ten. So it's nice that you're still yeah. carrying on doing the same stuff. Exactly. I haven't grown much since then either. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, I know who you are, but uh, for those uh, who know you from this book, uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, they might know of you as an author, but not know much about you as a person. So. Um, Tell us a wee bit about yourself, because you're actually an American citizen. I, I live here as a foreigner. I need to have a visa to be here, but you can come and go as you please. Yeah, that's right. I belong. You're just an imposter. Um, yeah, I was born in uh, Tennessee. So 18 months before you came along, I came along uh, in Tennessee. Our parents were uh, training with MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship, they were getting ready to head overseas and uh, I arrived and that means ever since I've been able to come in and out of the great United States of America with ease. Um, I've got a US passport and uh, also a British citizen, but I can come and go in the United States. Uh, so yeah, like like you then, after after being born there, we were, we were brought up in Tanzania in East Africa and then we all moved back to Belfast um, I lived in Belfast for 10 years before I went off to Africa again and then university in England. I married an English girl and it's all gone downhill since there, basically. The, the exile from the homeland is complete, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, so I married Angela and we ended up in Scotland. We moved to Scotland in 2004 for me to do a PhD and I told her, let's move to Scotland. It'll only be three years um, and then we'll move back to London where her parents were and that that was 2004 so what's that 18 
18 odd years ago, nearly. So, yeah. yeah. And she's not bitter with you at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Depends. Depends how we're getting on, how bitter she is, doesn't it? Yeah. Same with my wife, uh, a Sydney girl. Um, so yeah. uh, we grew up in Northern Ireland. Alistair and I would be playing football <laughs> out in the garden, but you would be in your room writing, studying. Um, uh, I've never really asked you this, but when did you uh, feel the desire to actually write? Um, well, it was after I turned down the pro um, soccer contracts once I knew that, you know, there were more important things in the world than that. And I left, left you and Alistair to tinker with worldly pleasures. Yeah. Um, turned that down. Um, I don't know. I, I went off to university to study theology at Nottingham university. And I, I just loved it from the, from the get go. And uh, you will remember like you, you were, I know you're only semi joking. I did come home one university term and wrote an additional dissertation in my course that I didn't have to write. I was just so preoccupied with something, spent the whole time writing. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I I started doing it then. I I, lo I loved the theological degree and loved writing essays. Um, but I I wouldn't say I've ever set out to be a writer or an author. And I don't think of myself as an author. I think of myself as a pastor who occasionally writes things. Yeah. The first bit of writing I remember you wrote was a beautiful bit of poetry after your year in Africa <laughs> called The Lights of Abidjan, about how the lights of Abidjan were going to call you back. And I don't think you've ever been back to Abidjan after your uh, gap year there. Uh, I think I think your first published bit of writing was in Themelios. Would that be right? I think so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I wrote an article on John 6. Um uh, the Lord Jesus' words about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. I, I did an essay on that in my undergrad. And yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so you, you uh, uh, studied at Nottingham, then you worked for UCCF or RTSF, as it was called, Religious Theological Fellowship of Students, with Daniel Strange, who the bookstore is familiar with some of his books. Um, and then you did a, yeah. a master's at King's College London uh, with Gollan. Uh, Colin Gunton, um, and then no, Colin Gunton, Colin Gunton, Colin Gunton had just died before oh, I went there, okay. so I, I was going there to study study with him. I had my place and everything, but then he sadly tragically died that year. Okay. So uh, when I went to Kings London, the department was kind of in a bit of disarray. I did I did a, an MA in systematic theology with one new. Testament module built into it. Okay, and then you went from there to Aberdeen to study under Francis Watson um, for your PhD. Uh, you you looked at Bart, and it was really during that time that you're you sort of entered the publishing world first in the area of academia. You edited a, a, a multi-authored volume on Bart, and then um, wrote your own thesis, reading the decree, both absolutely riveting books. Um, but uh, your first popular level book was with your uh, minister, Pete Dixon, on uh, called Rich, uh, published by Christian Focus, a little popular book on the Gospels. Is that right? Yeah, on Luke's Gospel. That's right. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, your first big splash was really this book, uh, Living Life Backward. Uh, it was published by IVP in the UK called Destiny. Uh, but here in the US, um, Living Life Backward. Uh, it's 
been a bit of a best-selling book here. I think you told me about 50,000 copies sold. Uh, about 40,000. So something like that. Yeah, yeah. about 40,000 of them bought by our mother and kept in a warehouse in Aberdeen. Uh, but um, <laughs> what's your main what's your main idea in this book? What's the main thesis? What were you trying to get across? Um, so I think I think probably t- two two things. One one was a thesis that I didn't even really tell people about or publish explicitly in the book, which is that I was trying to counter a view of Ecclesiastes that says the the prologue and the epilogue are. Uh, orthodox and the middle bit is all sort of nihilist and unorthodox and a later editor has tagged on the beginning and the ending to to um you know correct it basically mm-hmm. I, I have written a little bit about that in a an article on that's on the desiring god website i wrote an article called is all really vanity that is it's kind of my it's, it's not an academic article but it's a more an overview of how i think the whole book works i kind of had um, so that I think that's wrong. I, I think that's a wrong approach to Ecclesiastes. I think it's a unified, wh- whatever way it's, whatever way it might have been put together, it comes down to us as a unified book. It it has a definite prologue, has a definite epilogue, but I I think the book is consistent in its message in all its parts from beginning to end. Um, so I wanted to try and tackle that. I didn't talk about that thesis in the book, but it's what I was aiming to take apart, and and then much more positively. I think the message of the book is a positive, life-affirming message, mm-hmm. which is that when when you understand yourself as morning mist, as a vapor, as a passing shadow, I think that's the key to the book is understanding Havel. Um, I don't know why I'm telling you this. You're the Hebrew man. You're going to correct correct me and all of this. Um, what you you know you you'll tell me not pronouncing it right or there's six different nuances whatever um i i think that the the idea of our existence being a hevel like existence we are just here today gone tomorrow um the, the genius of ecclesiastes is that that is not a crushing negative message if you see yourself like that as we are, and you see yourself like that before the end comes, before it's too late, knowing who you really are can be incredibly liberating and life-giving. And I, I think that's the message of the book, that if you know you're only here for a short time and you're going to die, make sure you live life and enjoy it. In, enjoy life as God's child in relationship to Christ, in his kingdom, loving the world and all its good gifts, because you might be dead tomorrow. Yeah, I think it's quite a fresh take on Ecclesiastes. As you say, most people <clears throat> tend to read the book and even books on it or commentators on it view it quite pessimistically. And I think there really is that optimistic strand or thread in there. Uh, I also like to think of Christ as the man of Ecclesiastes, um, eating and drinking, enjoying his wine and his food to the glory of God. Um and um, yeah. I think that's another angle that sort of brings out that positive side to it. Why, why do you think it's so popular? Uh, why do you think it's sort of scratched an itch, so to speak? Your your book on on Ecclesiastes. What I mean, what 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 have you presented there that you think people have really grabbed the hold of? I think what it is is that pre preacher. There's two two things. Preachers live 
don't we, in Romans, Ecclesiastes, uh, Romans, Ephesians, the Gospels. Some of us live in Lamentations. We love big commentaries and Lamentations. Um, but pe- the people in our pews, in our churches, they live in the real Ecclesiastes world. So they live in a world where they're knocked sideways by illness, death, disaster. They live in the world of sex and work and food and relationships. And when preachers pick up those bits of the Bible, the wisdom literature that I think we neglect a lot, I could just see people were thinking, oh, the Bible has something to say to the real world in which I live. I'm not I'm not zoning out of my world, coming to church, entering this highfalutin world of theology that doesn't land down in my Monday to Friday life. So that's that's one thing. I think it's just the, the freshness of the wisdom literature. But I, I think if I were to try and express in a way why has it struck a chord with so many people, I think it's because the longer you live, you you realize you realize we've been doing what Ecclesiastes was written to try and counter. We've been we have been each of us building our own empires and trying to make a name for ourselves and trying to gain significance. And you get to mid forties or mid fifties and you realize, well, obviously you, especially you, you realize it just hasn't happened. You know, it's just not happening. I'm, I'm not as significant as I thought I was. I haven't achieved everything I thought I would. What meaning does my life have? And Ecclesiastes speaks into it saying, that's not what your life was for in the first place. You weren't meant, you weren't, God didn't put you here to make a name for yourself. Mm. Ecclesiastes is a hammer to smash the Tower of Babel impulses there in all our hearts, I think. Mm. And people find that liberating. I find it liberating mm. to kind of get my head around, you know, you know, you know the, the, the big thing, I've heard Don Carson say this so many times, beautifully in sermons over the years, you'll have heard it. God doesn't need you. Mm. And I think Ecclesiastes is that that's the, that's the message of Ecclesiastes in a slight, <clears throat> in a slightly different accent. Mm-hmm. God doesn't need you. The world doesn't need you. You will, the, once you die, the world will carry on spinning and it'll all be okay. The world will do just fine without you. Yeah. And you're kind of like, no, but hang on, I really matter. And I think Ecclesiastes says, yes, you do really matter. And what you do really matters, there, there is judgment to come. But you don't matter in the way you thought you do. You don't matter because you're a big smoke and you're a big cheese. You matter because God's given you these good things to enjoy. So I think, yeah, does that make sense? Does that help? Yeah. I think, I think no, it people, does. Find it, people, find, people find it helpful <clears throat> to see themselves in in true perspective. Yeah, no, that's very helpful. And as a result of this book, you've actually had some quite interesting contacts. Some folk in the States contacted you. Do you want to tell us a wee bit of what's developed there, in, especially in relation to your church? Yeah, so I've had, again, like I said, it's just been amazing. I mean, it, the number of people from around the world who've written to say how much they've been helped by the book has been has just been amazing. There's nothing better, is there? You know that when you're preaching or writing that somebody takes the time to actually articulate what difference it's made to their lives. Um, so I've had, a, I've had a couple of instances like that, a family in America who 
liked it so much they brought me over to speak to their whole family about it a couple of people in the family were so impressed with the message of it that they thought i want everybody to hear this so i ended up in a room with about 50 people of just their family uh, um but uh, while i was there doing that i had an email again out of the blue from somebody saying i've 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 read this book i like it so much i've given away nearly a hundred copies and lovely articulation of why this person found it so helpful and he said um if there's ever anything i can do to help you you know let me know and i looked at his email signature and his email signature was indicated that he was not a indicated that he was a person of possible considerable means let's say and resources yeah. and so we we emailed back and forth for quite a bit and then eventually i said look originally you said is there anything you could do to help and that there might be we're doing a building project i'm trying to raise a lot of money showed him what we were doing and yeah it kind of went from there he he put me in touch with other people you know you know how it works contacts led to contacts it, it ended up me coming over to the united states twice to dallas on two occasions um and i was just there most recently for fundraising it's led to quite a bit of money for our church building project and it's 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 all come from ecclesiastes basically yeah vanity of vanities yeah yeah that's great and uh just very briefly tell us what is your church project and what's the need that you have at the moment that you're trying to meet yeah so our our church family uh, we left the national church the church of scotland in 2011 and after we'd left we were renting premises in a hotel ballroom and we started fundraising for a permanent home we knew we'd, we knew we'd have to have permanent building one day basically the biggest church building in aberdeen in the city center came up for sale we'd managed to save enough money to buy it which is one thing but this building built in 1904 hasn't been well loved for decades so you can imagine a building that old and we need probably about two million pounds to renovate the whole thing from top to bottom so we're we're fundraising and saving as much as we can to get the funds together to to, to do that yeah it's great i've been in the building it's a it's a magnificent building it holds about a thousand people with a, a balcony yeah. and lovely raised pulpit which is great as presbyterian ministers we love a raised pulpit um so uh we are certainly praying the lord provides for you for that and now speaking about money money is something that can make a church uh, uh be a very effective uh, witness for a for the lord in a city uh, and yet money can also be the thing that rips us apart as a church and uh, you've written another book partly connected to the theme of money, but more broadly as well, called Radically Whole, uh, Gospel Healing for the Divided Heart. This book is on the uh, book of James. So your other one was on Ecclesiastes. This is on James. Um, what is it that you're trying to communicate in this book? And do you think James is sort of like the New Testament equivalent of Ecclesiastes? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the case, isn't it? In... Um in the Ecclesiastes book, somewhere I say something like that the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes has a twin brother in the New Testament called James. And maybe that's why I ended up turning those sermons into a book as well. There's something about the wisdom type literature book that connects with me somehow, I think. Um, J James has, doesn't he, in chapter four, um, 
almost explicitly Ecclesiastes language, what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's the same kind of idea of, you know, if you think you're going to be here forever, that's human pride elevating itself far too high. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, so there, there's definite, there's definite wisdom literature, explicit motifs like the mist. But I think there's also wisdom literature style in the way that the book is put together. It's not, it's not immediately logical in the way that Paul's epistles are. I think preachers often get lost in that. We can't quite work out how to put all these lovely sound bites together into a coherent whole. And so my book was a, or the sermon series was kind of an attempt to try and say there is there is a, an overall essence and an overall message to the book. Yeah, I think sound bites is a nice way of talking about it. It's whereas Romans and uh, Peter's epistles and even John, there's this sort of clear logical argument from beginning to end. Um, clear sections, whereas James seems to sort of give you a soundbite on some topic and then jump to the next one. Uh, you, you've uh, you've got nine chapters in this book, and each chapter title is a single word, I think trying to convey the idea of wholeness, uh, perfection, doing, love, seeing, words, wisdom, presumption, wealth, and suffering. Um, the thing I like about the book is uh, it's got a nice little quote from somebody in contemporary culture or church history sort of uh, grabs your attention. Uh, the chapters are not too long, and then there's uh, discussion questions for group discussion. Nice and simple for you, Johnny. Exactly. You, you wrote it for the simpletons like ourselves here. Um, what is it that you're um, uh, – what was one of the chapters in the book that really sort of grabbed your attention as you were preaching through this uh, for your church family? Um, well, I'm, it's a good question. I'm not sure I can think of any particular, uh, I'm not sure I can think of any particular ones that stood out. Um, but, but what the overall thing that stood out from the whole book was seeing what the whole epistle of James is really about. Now I say this right explicitly at the front that there's a, a wonderful Bible teacher in Scotland, a man called Andy Gemmell, who teaches teaches in Glasgow on the Cornhill training course in Scotland, uh, which is a, a a bit like in the United States. There's you have the Simeon workshops. It's a it's not a it's not an academically accredited course, but it's a a course for men and women interested in ministry, learning how to handle the Bible really well. Andy teaches on that course and has taught the Book of James. I've heard him teach it for twenty years, and I've said to him repeatedly, "You need to publish your." material in the book of James and he's always said no and I said to him well I'm going to do it for you and put my name on it and he said fine uh, which is what I've done um he, he his his insight to the whole book of James is that when you get to chapter four and James says to the people you adulterous people that that is the diagnosis of the sin in these churches probably more than one church it might have been a round robin letter going around uh, messianic Jewish communities and the sin that James diagnoses is that these people are split in their loves. They are divided. That's what adultery is, isn't it? It's you, you're married to God, but you love the world. And that that spiritual disease of adultery, spiritual adultery, that's what unlocks the whole letter. That's what makes sense of the language that James is probably better known for, of double-mindedness. 
the, the double-minded man is the double-hearted man. The reason you're double-minded is because your heart is double. And and Andy helped me see that all the splits that are happening in the book of James, people, the splits between hearing and doing, the splits between the words that you say, but the actions that you don't do, the split between faith and works, the split between wisdom from above and the wisdom uh, and, and the quarreling from below, the, they're all the outward manifestation of this inward problem that our our heart is a divided heart. And it goes all the way back to, well, right back to the start of the Bible, doesn't it? And you see it specifically in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. Because, God, because God is one, we should be one, one in our loves, and we're not, we're divided. And I, I think James is this kind of wonderfully Jewish Christian meditation on the, mm. the oneness that should be there in the heart of the believer, and it and it's not often. What do we do with that? Yeah, very helpful indeed. I th- think it's um, a book that is a helpful diagnosis for churches in a, in many ways to see what the actual health of a church is actually like, isn't it, for actually assessing. Um, yeah, where your church is at, yeah. and how your church responds. I, I, I quote, I quote Andy specifically in this in the book, where we say we love God, and James says, "But I've been watching you at church, and you. I know you say you love God, but I've watched what you've done to the poor person, and I've watched what you've done to that person who you've fallen out with, and I've watched what you've done with your money." And I know you say you love him, but I need to tell you, you clearly love something else as well. Mm. And it's it's that kind of penetrating message, really, penetrating application that you get in the book. Yeah, de- deeply pastoral. And uh, <clears throat> James was the brother of Jesus. Um, and so you do just wonder how much of this has really come from <laughs> spending so much time with the Lord and seeing Absolutely. how he treated people and pastored them and spoke into their lives you know yeah yeah um, yeah he calls he calls the lord the lord of glory doesn't he start of chapter two it's the yeah it's the only explicit or, or one of the only explicit references i think there's another christological reference probably in chapter five uh, the the coming of the lord is at hand but he explicitly calls jesus the lord of glory in chapter two and i and again, I think it's just a, a, a staggeringly beautiful, but really quite biting way of talking about him, because he calls Jesus the Lord of Glory straight after he's talked about um, at the, straight after at the end of chapter one. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and then he calls Jesus the Lord of Glory, the Lord of Glory loves orphans and widows, loves people who are in their affliction. And what do we think glory is about? We think glory is about chapter two, the rich man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing. He comes in and we seat him. We give him the best seat. Mm. Um, But the Lord Jesus never did that, did he? He 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 didn't discard the poor and the afflicted. He went after them. Um, so yeah, I think it's a beautiful way of talking about Christ, very subtly but very pointedly in the mm. book. Yeah, 
Yeah, beautiful, beautiful picture of our Savior. Uh, so this uh, book, Radically Whole, if you're listening, uh, it's well worth getting if you enjoyed uh, David's book, Living Life Backward. Uh, this is the nice compliment to it in the New Testament, Radically Whole, Gospel Healing for the Divided Heart. We're actually doing a, a giveaway. Uh, Ten five-packs of this book are being given away by the bookstore. Ten uh, five-packs, uh, because we think it's an excellent study guide for small groups and uh, we want to encourage people and churches to get into the Book of James. Uh, so take advantage of that um, uh, giveaway. You can go to wtsbooks.com forward slash afterward. That's wtsbooks.com forward slash afterward and uh, enter for the free draw. Uh, well, David, it's been uh, great to have you on the show today. Uh, thanks very much for making the time. Uh, any books coming out in the future that you want to tell us about? Uh, yes, I'm doing. I've I've written another book on Psalm 23, so I've taken a leave from wisdom type literature books, gone to poetry, as you highlighted so kindly. My love of poetry. Um, yeah, so I, I earlier this year I preached three sermons on Psalm 23, and thought. Uh, I should write them up into a book, which I've done, and that's all in, and that's going to be published by Crossway in August 2023. It's called The Lord of Psalm 23, Jesus as Our Shepherd, Companion, and Host. Yeah, great. Well, we look forward to seeing that. Um, Sinclair Ferguson, I think, said to you one time that he'd sort of lost all love for Psalm 23 because he'd taken so many funerals. Uh, and it is a yeah. psalm that's so common to us, and yet I think it's often a psalm that actually we've there's so much of it we've never actually thought about. I learned that um, Psalm 23 never used to be used at funerals until after the American Civil War, and the American Civil War soon after that coincided with a lot of Enlightenment pressures that led to secularism and so on. That meant that all of a sudden Psalm 23 was viewed in an entirely sentimental way, mm. but. Prior to the American Civil War, Psalm 23 was not viewed sentimentally. There's there's a, there's a tremendous there's a tremendous richness to the picture of God in the Psalm, and what what I try and do in the book is say that it it is a it is a staggering thing that the Lord should be our shepherd. It's so common, isn't it, that we think the Lord is my shepherd, and we we focus on shepherd and all the imagery that comes in the Psalm. I think the Psalm is. You, you have no idea what it means to say that the Lord is your shepherd. Um, so, yeah, anyway, there yeah. you go. I, I love that just at the very end, you're getting a dig in there at Americans for basically ruining Psalm 23. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, but you're an American citizen, so you can get away with, away with saying that. <laughs> Good. David, it's been great to have you on the show. And um, please tell Thank mom, you. tell mom I love her. And uh, tell her to get those books out of that warehouse because I've got a book coming out next year and uh, we need to create some space for her to buy tens of thousands of them. I'll do that. Okay. Uh, good. Okay. Thanks very much for joining us and uh, God yeah. bless for you and your church and your ministry. Oh, if someone wants to help with your church or read more about the need, how would they find out about that? Uh, probably the best thing is to go to just our church website, Trinity uh, trinityaberdeen.org.uk is the website address, trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Look us up on Google. Uh, we've made a short film about the building project. I say short, uh, you know, 11 minutes, shorter than cinema films. Yeah. Um, 
and it's on it's on the church website it's there you can watch it and learn about what we're doing okay that's great thanks very much and uh, every blessing thank you bye-bye